Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss data privacy engineering and related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Osvaldo Benuelos, a lead software engineer at Skyflow, and we'll be talking about encryption key management and its role in modern data privacy. Osvaldo, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So before we you know, dive too deep into encryption key management, let's start off by having you introduce yourself. So who are you and what do you do at Skyflow? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a software engineer here at Skyflow. I lead the privacy preservation team, which owns the encryption, key management, and tokenization stack. Awesome. So I think, you know, I, I think it's always interesting to hear about someone's uh, career path. There's you know so many different journeys to people working in tech and in software engineering fields. Can you share a little bit about your background from where you started your engineering career to uh, where you are today? Certainly. So I've been in the software industry for uh, a decade. I started off designing and uh, implementing Linux kernel drivers for Android devices. Then um, I pivoted onto the backend domain to build uh, cloud services, first for data ingestion use cases and uh, now for data privacy. That's quite uh, the spectrum of things starting out with uh, Linux kernel drivers and then moving into the cloud and now into privacy. How is it that you know, you've been at Skyflow for, I believe, two years? How did you end up getting interest in working on a product focused on data privacy and move into that space? That's an excellent question. So I think uh, serious programmers you know, tend to do their work with uh, some level of security and privacy in mind. Um, developers don't want to be responsible for compromising the trust uh, in, in the brand or a product they represent. But uh, to be specific here, um, so my first gig, right, working as a kernel developer, um, the features that we developed were uh, in C. And so that's a low-level language, gives you a lot of flexibility to optimize for your machine constraints. Um, and that, that comes with some trade-offs, right? You're responsible for managing your own memory. And um, so this, uh, this, this is relevant because it turns out that a very large portion of critical vulnerabilities, um, as reported by Microsoft, Apple, and Google, they are uh, memory management related issues. So things like buffer overflow or string manipulation um, are often uh, exploited by um, malicious actors to, uh, to gain uh, either Ill illegal access to a system or leaks uh, you know, sensitive information within the system. So I think you know, from from that point of view where you know, I started very low level, uh, bare metal uh, type of uh, development, uh, I was very exposed to, um, to safeguarding uh, data and making sure that you know, what, what you're writing is, is, is sound. And then you know, my second job mm, working for a, uh, a big data company, uh, ingesting data, we were also had to, you know, we also had to keep this in mind. We we couldn't just ingest the data. We had to clean it. We had to de-identify and drop the PII before we could store it. Um, so I think, you know, throughout my whole career, I've, there's been some exposure to uh, to privacy in that sense. Um, I think, you know, uh, now that there is a, or at least I see a very big shift from uh, legacy systems to cloud computing. I think that data privacy is. 
very important and the amount of data that uh, is going to be stored on the cloud continues to grow. So I think that you know this this area is just uh, uh, it's an area that I wanted to explore. Yeah, that's amazing. I really like this perspective that you had through your career of you know, starting with these low-level issues and then you know moving into cloud and kind of um, you know seeing that full path of of data management from something that's you know potentially happening on-prem, very low level, all the way to massive scale that we're dealing with in the cloud. And I remember when I started my engineering journey, we used to hear about you know buffer overflow. Uh, exploits and hacks all the time. And it's something that I, I don't think is on my radar the same way it was uh, you know, 20 years ago in the on-prem days, but it's uh, nice to kind of hear your journey through both the, the you know, problems that you have managing memory all the way to the cloud. So encryption is the, you know, the topic we're kind of diving into today and particularly uh, key management, encryption key management. And obviously you know, encryption is a widely used technique most modern engineers have at least some high level understanding of encryption. But for those that are perhaps maybe a little um, you know, less familiar with it, or it's been a long time, what are the fundamentals of encryption? Uh, sure, so uh, encryption is a, a process that trans uh, transforms uh, data in readable format. So this is also known in plain text in the industry and it turns it into uh, an unreadable format, uh, also known as ciphertext. And uh, this is a mechanism to prevent um, folks that don't have access or that shouldn't have access to the data uh, to not be able to see that plain text. Um, so by the same token, decryption is the process of reversing that encryption process. And the, the crucial part here to highlight, uh, highlight is that you need access to the encryption key that was used when the data was originally encrypted. Right. So, you know, encryption and cryptography, these are, you know, concepts that have been used for a long time to protect sensitive data. And it's a core piece of technology, especially when we talk about things like data privacy, securing sensitive customer data. And as you mentioned, encryption is this two-way transformation where if you have the key, you can decrypt the data and see the original values. So what is the process to protect against the key being leaked and essentially rendering the encryption ineffective? Uh, so there's been development in terms of where these keys get managed in the cloud. Uh, a very commonly known concept in the industry is a KMS, which is a key management system. And uh, this system essentially provides a centralized place to manage the lifecycle and uh, permissions of how you know the, the these crypto keys get used. Um, so the one of the major components uh, of a modern uh, cloud architecture is leveraging um, these KMSs that have gone through uh, security and quality controls, you know, uh, they get uh, audited for compliance for different regimes like PCI, FIPS, and HIPAA. So the first step is, you know, to leverage what you can from what um, what is there on the industry and what's the best standard, and then improving upon that, right? Finding the gaps and uh, it's kind of an iterative process. If someone was to build their own encryption key management system, what's the process like? How complicated is that? Is that just a terrible idea to you know roll your own encryption key management system? And should you just stick with you know what's provided by the major cloud providers? 
So building your own KMS uh, takes uh, quite a bit of resources from an engineering standpoint. So I would say it just depends on what your use case is. If you have specific use business use cases that require you to host, uh, you know, for example, the key in your own, um, like on-prem, and you would have to basically build some uh, control mechanisms on top to manage that data uh, within your infrastructure. So that, that I can see there's some advantages to building your own. Um, however, for a very large portion of uh, folks trying to integrate their existing services, uh, I would not advise you to attempt this, um, mostly because of the cost. So you don't want to spend your resources um, uh, on this. Right. Yeah. Most you know engineering teams want to focus their you know re precious engineering resources probably on the things that are actually going to uh, deliver you know ROI um, and customer value to the business uh, and not necessarily on managing encryption keys. But in terms of encryption key management lifecycle, how are keys in a KMS you know, generated, stored, recovered? Like, what are the components essentially of an effective key management system? Right. So there are several steps um, on the life cycle of a key. As you mentioned, uh, generating is one of them. That's the first step. So how do you uh, create the crypto uh, cryptographically random numbers? Uh, your array of bytes that get used um, that represent the key. So you want to make sure that you're generating sufficiently long key length um, as it takes longer to uh, crack that key in the event that someone's trying to brute force it. Uh, there's also a process of registration. So once you generate that key, uh, in order for it to be useful, you have to have a mechanism to link it within your system. So when you're trying to decrypt a specific piece of data, you have to be able to locate the key and know which key is the right key for the right data. So there needs to be some mechanism to uh, store that information in your system. Uh, third is storage. So uh, the, the plain text of the key that needs to be put in a, uh, a, a safe environment. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of uh, cloud KMSs already provide uh, certain quality control guarantees on where they're going to be storing that plain text. Um, and then if, you know, fourth is usage. So you, you, once you've generated, registered your key, and it's safely stored, uh, you have to uh, maintain that the state of your key. So it, it, it basically, there's a different states associated with the key. If it's disabled, enabled, um, if it's uh, for more advanced techniques, if it's pending import, if you're trying to import the, the key material, uh, for example. So uh, you need to track these different states for uh, for that key, and you know that that falls within the the use um, component. Uh, fifth is rotation. So extensive reuse uh, of keys can increase the attack surface. Uh, in the event that the key is is cracked by a brute force attack or uh, some other means, and you know this only makes sense, right? So if you if you don't rotate your key, then the amount of data that you're encrypting with a given key will just increase. And you want to mitigate that by uh, rotating the key periodically. Uh, another component is destruction. So there are certain use cases. Let's say you're, in our case, we're, we're deleting the vault. So we no longer want to store data. And there's no reason why your infrastructure needs to be uh, paying for, for that key. 
And in fact, you know, there, there's some compliance requirements where, you know, you have to be able to prove that the key has been deleted. And, and obviously, you can't decrypt the data once that's done. Uh, recovery is the last component. So if there is a uh, some kind of uh, issue in your infrastructure where the key gets uh, accidentally deleted, then that's that's a huge problem, right? Because you've already uh, you know you have this data that's been um, encrypted, and and so there are certain recovery mechanisms. So if you have uh, some window of time where you can revert that operation and um, put the key back in you know an operational state. Hey, it's Sean, host of the show you're listening to. First and foremost, I hope you're enjoying the interview. And if you are, please support the show by subscribing and leaving a positive rating and review. And if you want to keep the conversation going, join our community at skyflow.com community. Okay, that's it for me. Now back to the show. So as you mentioned, you know, key rotation is one of these essential components and it, you know, and, and it makes sense. Like you, the longer a key sticks around, then the bigger the potential attack surface. It's just like a password for your email. You, you want to change those things up from time to time. How often should uh, a key be rotated? What's the best practices around that? And do KMSs generally provide this functionality out of the box? Yes. So, so um, major uh, cloud provider KMSs will have some level of rotation. Um, in fact, recently, you know, and uh, this year, early this year, uh, a major uh, provider switched their uh, their schedule. So this used to be, well, master keys were rotated once every three years, and they've they've lowered this to once a year. Um, I think uh, for for what we offer in our platform, we um, we want to make that even more configurable for our customers. So if you uh, are very paranoid and would like to have greater control. Um, you know, we, we have a uh, finer granularity to control that uh, through our API. How are a uh, access to a KMS, how is the access to a KMS locked down in terms of, uh, you know, not allowing everybody, to, essentially anybody to access the KMS? There is a uh, concept called IAM, which is Identity Access Management. And... Um, the common technique is to provision roles that have uh, specific access to use your KMS APIs. And so then you'll grant uh, a specific service uh, access to use this role, to assume this role. And you know, only having uh, the correct credentials and authentication mechanisms to uh, assume that role, then you can um, modify the state of the KMS. And then generally, who within an organization is typically responsible for key management? You you might be using key management for uh, various encryption keys. Like, does that fall to the security team, or is that the responsibility of maybe the you know application engineers or some combination? I think it depends uh, who you ask. So if you're um, if you are talking to an application developer, then clearly there is some uh, responsibility there to you know make sure that they are following standards, but if it's more, if it's less of an application centric uh, uh, organization, right? If, if, if you're, um, you might have someone like a chief information security officer that will, you know, set some guidelines and then your IT department would then um, basically carry out those, those guidelines. I see. And then for 
people who are looking to use a KMS, what are some of the like popular options on the market today? And are there pros and cons between them or are they kind of, um, from a feature perspective, or are they similar? Uh, the, there is several solutions. So uh, just to name a few, um, HashiCorp Vault is, uh, has an offering. Um, also, major tech companies like Microsoft, AWS, and Google, they have their own cloud offerings that will have a KMS uh, offering. And I think the, the main factor there to decide who you're using is uh, a lot has to do with vendor lock-in. So if your infrastructure is hosted in a specific cloud, um, it is likely that uh, you want to use the integrations with other services that have been built. Um, but but you know, even, even for us, you know, just to make a note here, um, it, you don't have to be hosted on the same cloud, right? One of, our, one of the features that we support is, is bringing your own key. So that means that even though we will uh, you know, have our platform and uh, deploy in a specific cloud, you get to keep control of your key and uh, you can host it in your cloud. And there's also another mechanism where you can host the plain text in a secure environment and import the, you know, securely import the key into our infrastructure. So you touched a little bit on, you know, how Skyflow's uh, KMS uh, or key management works within our Skyflow vault. And, you know, kind of zooming out to the larger picture of, of data privacy. It makes sense, of course, to encrypt data. If you're protecting customer data, you want to encrypt it. And you need this feature of robust key management. Is, you know, from Bert... From your perspective, is this enough or are there other technologies essentially a company needs to incorporate in order to have an effective privacy and compliance strategy? Uh, I think it's a an important component, but it's not the only component. A comprehensive solution will also take into consideration other technologies like uh, data governance uh, and tokenization in addition to key management. So it's really the combination of you know, a bunch of these types of, um, you know, tools and technologies in order to, to really uh, have a good sort of uh, privacy posture as a company. In my opinion, that's correct. And, and, and also the integration between these different technologies within your product. So you mentioned a bunch of different tools and technologies, things like encryption, uh, encryption key management, tokenization, data governance. You know, looking at the full spectrum of the data privacy space, are there big gaps in data privacy today? And are there future technologies or developments that you're excited about? Uh, yes. So I think uh, big gaps, The there is a disconnect, in my opinion, between the developments that have happened uh, recently in, in the cloud and the adoption. So there is a large cost that, uh, you know, companies have to go through if they are running on legacy systems and on non-cloud non compliant applications. So th there is a gap on that, uh, on how to make that jump from from what you currently have, the database systems that you've built internally and you, you know, leveraging what um, you know, latest companies are building. So if there is a, uh, some, some development to uh, reduce friction in that transition, I think, that has uh, that has promising f uh, future, in my opinion. Yes, that 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 would be amazing. Um, and are there, you know, looking ahead in this space in the next, you know, five to ten years, are there particular 
technologies beyond that that you are interested in uh, seeing become you know enterprise ready or production ready? There are some theoretical. Uh, concepts like um, differential privacy, uh, multi-party computation. So some of these uh, technologies are uh, still in research phase and it's yet to be seen what uh, what production use case they can handle in terms of uh, scale. But there is some, uh, some research uh, happening uh, on these two fields. And if somebody listening to this wants to learn more about data privacy or maybe even pursue a career as an engineer in the privacy space, what would you suggest their sort of starting point are? What are some resources that they could leverage to kind of start to, to learn more about this uh, field? Uh, sure. So I, I think my experience has been a kind of unique in the sense that I it didn't really go right for privacy, right? I think there was some natural, natural transition and interest that I built. Uh, but um, if you are actually uh, interested specifically in this uh, in this area, there are uh, you know many um, online courses. So you can go through these websites and, and take formal education on um, on data privacy concepts. Then uh, it also depends on where you want to specialize. So if you're trying to do development or compliance, uh, then you would further narrow down uh, on on that uh, interest of yours. And you know, kind of explore resources uh, as you figure out what it is that you enjoy. Awesome, that's that's great advice. And do you have anything else that you want to share at this time? Uh, no, just thanks for having me on the show, and uh, I'm excited for the future of data privacy. <laughs> great, thanks so much for coming on the show, Osvaldo. It was uh, you know really fun. I think it's an interesting conversation, and hopefully, a lot of people find this useful. Um, also, uh, you wrote a great blog post on this topic, which we'll include in the show, note, show notes. So thanks so much for sharing your expertise today. Sounds good. Thanks. Take care.